Good morning. Can I get two people to volunteer to hand out papers for me? There you go. Oh, you got a lot less. You better go ask Nathan for some more. All right, good morning, everybody. How's everybody's Thanksgiving? Good. Anybody do anything special? Have family in town? No? No friends? No family? All right. Well, we had a good Thanksgiving at my house, and uh, I'm just grateful to be here with you guys and uh, stepping in for Roy. Obviously, you guys know that Roy's going to be preaching in main service, so I'm just grateful to be here with you uh, to be able to share God's Word with you this morning. So as the, the papers get handed out, why don't we open up our time with a word of prayer? Lord, we are grateful uh, to be here this morning and just thankful to be part of your, your family. We do just ask that you'd watch over our time, help us to understand your word rightly, help us to uh, humble ourselves underneath it and let it impact our hearts and uh, help us to walk away changed because of what your word has to say. I do pray that as we look into what your word has to say about personal evangelism this morning, that we would dedicate ourselves to doing this work um, with confidence because we know that your power is behind that act. So we are grateful and just ask that you watch over our time. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Who of you guys know what the word evangelism means? Could anybody define evangelism? Not rhetorical. What does evangelism mean? What does it mean to do evangelism? I know some of you have to know this. Thanks, bud. Guys here. Share the gospel with people. That's right. So evangelism is telling people the good news about Jesus Christ, right? His sacrificial death and his resurrection with the hope that they might repent of their sins and believe in the gospel. Now, when you guys think about doing that, sharing the gospel with people, evangelizing people, what kind of feelings come up within your hearts as you think about doing that? Does it excite you? Does it intimidate you? Does it scare you? Does it make you nervous? Does it make you anxious? What do you feel when you think about sharing the gospel with someone? Isaiah? Excitement and nervousness. I think that's a good way to put it. Anybody else? People are smiling, but no one's answering. Go ahead, Leslie. Yeah, fearful of the, yeah, the person's response. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm right there with you guys. I, I think that personal evangelism is both exciting and intimidating. It can make me a bit nervous and anxious because, to be honest with you, I'm fearful of how that person might perceive me. I, I can be fearful of uh, that person's response if they may get angry or maybe even if the relationship is severed because of me sharing my faith uh, with that person. So 
Sometimes I even think that evangelism can be intimidating for us because maybe we think that we don't have enough information or we, we might say something wrong to the person or they may ask us a question that we may not have the answer to. And sometimes I think it's intimidating just because of the fear of just not being liked by the person or maybe losing that relationship. And still other times I think we're intimidated by evangelism because we don't want to look foolish in the eyes of others. But would you guys say that these are good reasons to avoid evangelism? Are these good reasons to avoid evangelism? Pookie says no. What else? No? Yeah, absolutely not. So, because I know that that those types of thoughts reside in my own heart when I think about personal evangelism, telling other people about Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death and resurrection and their need to repent and believe in the gospel. I, I wanted to bring you guys to a passage this morning that's hopefully going to give you some clarity. It's going to give you some confidence as you guys go out into the world, into your schools, into your workplaces, with your friends, with your family members that may not believe, and hopefully it's going to give you some confidence uh, concerning how to do personal evangelism in a way that honors the Lord, in a way that you could be confident in. So please open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, going through verse 5, Paul says this. He says, When I came to you, brethren, I didn't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So I know we're kind of just diving right into a passage right in the middle of this New Testament letter, so we do have to understand a little bit of the background about what's going on in 1 Corinthians. So at the time that Paul wrote this letter, the Corinthian church was really tearing itself apart with these popularity contests concerning who their favorite preachers were. Some said that they were of Apollos, some said that they were of Paul, some said that they were of Peter, and there was even a group who claimed that they followed Christ alone, but this wasn't because they were just oh so spiritual. What those people were saying was, hey, I follow Christ and you don't. And what do you think the root of all this division was deep down? Pride. Yeah, it was pride. So as these people were living in the Greek culture, Corinth was Greek in its culture, they emphasized public speaking skills. So the Corinthians thought that they were sermon experts, and they spent all their time trying to be entertained and critiquing the preachers as entertainers rather than critiquing their own lives as believers and this led them into many problems. And as you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll see that there are many problems within the church there. This was one of those problems, critiquing their preachers and saying, hey, I'm a Peter, I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos. Hey, I'm the only Christ follower here, I'm of Christ. That's what some of them were saying. So in our passage this morning, 
Paul's showing the Corinthians God's great plan in human history, and it probably wasn't something that the arrogant Corinthians would have expected. According to chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, God's plan, his strategy, is to destroy the wisdom of the wise. These people thought that they were the wisest people in history. And God's plan was to make foolish the, the world's brainiest ideas. And he did that, God did that, through the message of the cross. In fact, the Corinthians had seen God's surprising strategy in two particular ways. Paul explains that first in chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. There he reminds them that, guess what? Not many of them were the big shots in this world. But God had chosen the foolish. God chose the weak. God chose the low and the despised in this world. Well, why do you think he would do that? Verses 27 through 29 say that God did this to shame the wise, to shame the strong, to bring to nothing the things that are. And here's what God's final aim was. It was so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So now in our passage, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Paul reminds the Corinthians of a second way that they, they have seen God bring down the wisdom and the pride of men. God uses unimpressive people for his own glory. And they've witnessed this divine strategy in the apostle Paul himself. That's why Paul starts in chapter 2, verse 1 with, And when I came to you, He's saying, hey, do you guys want another picture of God's power working through human weakness? Well, just look at me. I was that. God's power was working through me in my weakness. So Paul knew that he had ministered to the Corinthians in his own weakness and that he was unimpressive according to the world's standards. So he reminds them of his method of ministry, which should be our method of ministry. He presents to us three attributes of faithful gospel proclamation in an arrogant world. Three attributes of faithful gospel proclamation in an arrogant world. The first attribute is this. It's an unashamed dedication to a simple message. So if you guys want to go out into this world, you want to go to your schools, you want to go to your workplaces, you want to go to your colleges, you want to preach God's word, the gospel, to your friends and family members who don't believe, you need to have an unashamed dedication to a simple message. That's found in verses 1 and 2. Paul says, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So here Paul reminds the Corinthians of the time when he first came and preached to them. This was a trip to Corinth. It was part of his second missionary journey. And you can read about Paul's second missionary journey, and especially the part where he visited Corinth in Acts chapter 18. It's there that we learn that Corinth was Paul's next stop after he had visited Athens, which was about 50 miles away. And what happened in Athens is actually very helpful to how we are to understand our passage this morning when Paul had visited Corinth and what he writes to the Corinthians. In Athens, Paul had engaged with these Greek philosophers who Luke describes as people who spent their time doing nothing other than telling or hearing something new. 
So these people lived in an era that was dominated by the Greek culture. They thought very, very highly of human reason and human intellect. It was a time when many philosophers would have sought to make an income through their speaking abilities, through their abilities to argue, and through their abilities to debate their different views on various things throughout life. So some of these men would travel through Greek cities and they would seek to captivate audiences through their ability to speak and demonstrate, hey, their own brand of human wisdom was the best brand of human wisdom. And the better the person's speaking ability at the time, the more followers that that person had, and then people would actually pay them to speak at different locations so that they could hear them present various different ideas about various different topics because they had such great, eloquent speaking abilities. So when Paul entered the Greek culture of Athens and eventually Corinth, he entered a culture that was completely in love with man-made worldly wisdom. So in Athens, when he came to them and he began preaching Jesus to them, many of these philosophers actually ended up sneering at him and mocking him. They actually called him an idol babbler, which was uh, an insult, which was their way of saying like, hey, this guy makes his living just by picking up the scraps of others. It was an insult to Paul. So to the Greek philosophers at the time, Paul's message was complete foolishness to them, and it was completely unworthy of their time. What did they want? They wanted man's wisdom, right? They wanted a spectacular oratory show, a spectacular speaking spectacle. They didn't want to hear just God's plain and simple word. So this gives us insight into why Paul tells the Corinthians that he did not come to them in superiority of speech or of wisdom. Much like Athens, Corinth was heavily influenced by Greek philosophy. They prized human reason, and they loved to hear great public speakers. That gives us insight into why some of them said, hey, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter. It's because they were picking their own brand of the way that they liked how their preachers spoke. They didn't really care about the content in which they were speaking. So Paul's statement here actually flies directly in the face of what the Corinthians would have wanted and what they would have expected from a preacher, from a public speaker. He says that he didn't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. So for Paul, he didn't care to entertain people or to have them think highly of him when he preached the gospel to them. He didn't come with fancy words to wow his audience. He didn't come to put his own intellect on display so that all the people would come and praise him. But in thinking about that, you guys might say like, well, why not? Shouldn't we try to win the respect of people who are highly intellectual before we preach the gospel to them? Shouldn't we demonstrate to them that, hey, we can play their game too and that we're reasonable people too and we're smart too before we preach the gospel to them? When you guys think about that, what do you think? Is that appropriate? Should we try to win the praise of others and demonstrate to them that we're just as smart as them before we preach the gospel to them? kind of get on their playing field? What do you guys think? <laughs> Go bold, Rachel. <laughs> no? Anybody else? Different idea? Yeah, Paul says that that is completely 
unnecessary. For Paul and for us, it's simply not the way that God calls us to proclaim the gospel to the unsaved world. Look at chapter 1, verse 17. Paul tells us what his commission and what ours should be as well. He says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. So you guys can see here, when we mix our man-made wisdom with the gospel, and we seek to win the approval of lost individuals through our own ingenuity and our own cleverness, we actually empty the gospel of its powerful effects. We cause it to lack the results that we want because we've intermingled it with our own flawed thoughts and ideas. The fact of the matter is this, guys, and we all have to get this through our heads. God does not need our help to make his gospel effective. God does not need our human help to make his gospel effective. And that's exactly what Paul says in chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Look at that text. He says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, it's a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, it's foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, it's Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So Paul knew that God's wisdom, as it's seen in the cross of Christ, as it's seen in the gospel, was far wiser and far more powerful than any type of wisdom that he or the Corinthians could just conjure up on their own. So what did he do? He dedicated himself to preaching to them a simple message. What was the message? What does the text say? What was his message? Does it right there? Go ahead. Okay. What does it say before that? In uh, what about uh, verses one and two? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He says, "I came to you preaching the testimony of God, and Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He determined to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, why do you think Paul made it a point to teach these people the testimony of God and to focus on the person and work of Jesus? Why would he make it a point to do that?
Why would Paul want to preach Jesus to a group of unbelievers? I don't want to call on you. <laughs> Go ahead, Isaiah. Exactly. They need to hear Jesus, right, in order to be saved. So Paul knew people. He knew his theology. He knew his Bible. He knew what these people needed to hear if they were going to be saved. They did not need to hear man's wisdom. That has no power to save. They needed to hear God's word. They needed to hear God's testimony. They needed to hear Christ crucified. And that's why it's so important for us to understand what Paul's doing in this passage. His method of presenting the gospel has to be our method of presenting the gospel. Many people today, guys, will tell you how to evangelize your friends and your family members. They'll say like, hey, you have to start with man's reason. Get on the unbeliever's playing field, start with man's reason, and as you simply reason together, they'll begin to see that, hey, God exists because it's reasonable. And when you get them to the point to where they think that it's reasonable, that God might indeed exist, then at that point, you present the gospel to them. Now, there's others who would say, hey, no, you have to start with the evidence, okay? You need to look at things in creation, look at things in science that prove the existence of God. And once enough evidence is piled up in front of that person, guess what? Then you can preach the gospel to them because they've seen all the evidence. Now, in, in your guys' day, in our day, many people would say that you have to start with the person's individual feelings about the subject. You're to do things and say things that make the person feel good about God first, and then when they feel good about it, then you can present the gospel to them. And in Paul's case, the Greeks would have said, you need to speak eloquently and with beautiful and fancy words. And if you can demonstrate that your speaking ability is something great, something that we've never heard before, well, then you have the high ground and we should listen to you because you just speak so well. Now, what do you guys think about those methods of evangelizing? Looking to man's reason, looking to the evidence, looking to manipulate people into an emotional response. Do you think that those, got, those methods have any power to save? Ryan says no. No, they don't. So throughout the Bible, Scripture tells us that no one is able no one has the ability to look at the evidence fairly. No one is able to use their own reason to come to saving faith in God. And no one is able to feel good about God before they have saving faith in Jesus Christ. Why is that? It's because of the fall. It's because sin has totally corrupted our minds to where we have to hear Jesus Christ and him crucified, we have to hear the gospel message in order for us to be saved. God uses that message powerfully for us to respond to it in repentance and faith and place our trust in Jesus Christ. So in Paul's case, he knew that the oratory expectations and the, the obsession for argumentation skills in Corinth would be a distraction to the gospel. It wouldn't be a help to it. He knew that people can't come to a saving knowledge of God through their own natural abilities. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, 
and hearing by the word of what? Christ. So apart from saving faith in Jesus Christ, who was crucified on our behalf, people will just suppress the obvious truth about God in their own unrighteousness. They'll look at the beauty of creation, though God has made it perfectly obvious to them that he exists and that he is a good creator, and they will just suppress that in their own unrighteousness, and they will ignore it, and they will not want to follow God or honor God or give him thanks. It doesn't matter how much evidence we pile up in favor of presenting God to them. We have to preach the gospel. So Paul, as he spent a year and a half with the Corinthians, he taught them the full testimony of God. Then he made up his mind about the message that he wanted to ring loud and clear in their minds. If they were to walk away remembering anything that Paul had taught, it would be the facts of the gospel. From listening to Paul, they would learn that Jesus is God the Son, that they were sinners in need of salvation, and that Jesus had died upon the cross to take the punishment that their sins deserve, and he was raised three days later. Now, these facts were not up for an intellectual debate. They weren't up to man's reasoning skills to evaluate whether or not these things were so. They weren't up to people to decide how they felt about these things before they submitted to this message. Paul presented the simple facts without any desire to appeal to the Corinthians' love of fancy words and skills in debate. So being an intellectual hotshot didn't matter to Paul. Only God's revelation did. Only God's word did. And that revelation is summed up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So guys, that's why we have to commit ourselves to telling people the simple truth of the gospel. We can't let ourselves get caught up in giving people what they want to hear uh, or how they want to argue or even what they might think of us. As one of my professors once wrote, he said, we dare not give people what they want, but must give them what they need. And what they need is clearly spelled out in God's word. They need the gospel, guys. They need to hear that God created them, that they are accountable to him, and that they will be judged for sinning against him, but that God sent his son Jesus Christ to live a perfect life on their behalf and to die a sacrificial death, taking the punishment that their sins deserve. And Jesus proved that that sacrifice was acceptable to God because he was raised three days later. These are the facts of the gospel. So if you guys want to faithfully proclaim the gospel to your lost friends, to your lost family members, if I want to do that, we have to unashamedly stick to the simple message of the gospel. We shouldn't strive for cleverness in argumentation or to win the applause of the people that we're speaking to, but we should simply strive to be faithful to the only message that has the power to save people from the punishment that their sins deserve. It's the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, for many of us, as I think I saw for most of the facial expressions earlier, we kind of find this to be intimidating, don't we? We recognize that we're insufficient for the task. Uh, The thought of evangelizing other people just kind of makes us anxious, it makes us nervous, and it kind of scares us to think that we need to go out and do that. Well, I think you guys will be happy to know that if you feel this way, you're in good company. 
Look at what, what Paul says in, in verses 4 and 5. Uh, 3 and 4, sorry. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So here Paul teaches the second attribute of faithful gospel proclamation. It's a humble reliance upon a powerful source. A humble reliance upon a powerful source. He says that he came in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, I think it's important for us to recognize here that Paul isn't being self-deprecating to the point of wanting to just win sympathy from the Corinthians. He's not going around and just saying, oh, you know, woe is me. You know, I'm just a nobody. I stink at this whole evangelism thing. And, you know, I mean, if I were you guys, I wouldn't listen to me either. You know, just throwing in the towel. He's not, he's not doing that because that would be just making it about himself again, right? But it would just be in the opposite way of what he was talking about earlier. So in one way... He could have brought attention to himself through this excellent and flashy speaking performance. He could have wowed his audience with his great vocabulary skills and his skills in debate. But then in another way, he could bring attention to himself through this kind of like self-deprecation and wallowing in his own insufficiencies. I'm just a nobody. And he could be so hard on himself that that brings attention to himself again and takes attention away from the cross to the point to where the people just want to have sympathy on him and want to, have, um, want to make him feel better. So they say, like, Paul, stop feeling so bad about yourself. Uh, we'll believe anything that you say just so that you stop being so hard on yourself. Is that what Paul's doing here, though? No, that's not what he's doing here at all. Here, Paul's explaining his own dependency on the Holy Spirit to both preach his message and to cause his message to have any effect in the lives of the people that he was preaching to. He says that he was with them in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, I know many of you guys know that I work as a paramedic with the fire department here in Phoenix. And as a paramedic, we keep a lot of tools in our medical boxes to help people if they get sick or injured. We've got IVs, we've got medications, we've got a bunch of stuff to help people breathe if they're not breathing right. We've got things to help people to stop bleeding if they have some type of injury. So those tools are vital for us to be able to help people when they need it. But guess what? If I'm a paramedic and I have all this knowledge, but I don't have any tools... I'm basically helpless to help people when they have a need, right? I need the tools inside my toolbox to be able to help people. That's a lot like what Paul's saying here. Paul knew that he was totally insufficient for the task of evangelizing the lost on his own. Without proper resources, without proper tools, he was completely helpless to do what was necessary for the Corinthians to be saved. And he says he was among them in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And that means that Paul knew that he was weak in his own resources and by the world's standards. He knew that the task at hand was great and that God had commissioned, to do something, commissioned him to do something that was beyond his human ability to accomplish. 
So, of course, he's intimidated by the task of preaching the gospel to a world that believed that the gospel was completely foolish. Nevertheless, though, Paul's insufficiency did not lead him to some type of despairing inactivity. Instead, his insufficiency led him to dependent effort. Though he was weak and the task was daunting and the task was difficult, he knew that God's resources were sufficient to help him to carry out the task. He goes on to say that his message was not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Now, as you guys think about what he says there, does that mean that Paul was sloppy in his presentation of the gospel or that he made no effort in persuading people to believe in the gospel? What do you guys think? Was he sloppy in presenting it? He made no effort because he just knew the Holy Spirit would do everything? No, absolutely not. So Paul sought to be clear in his explanation of the gospel, and he sought to persuade his hearers to believe in it. In 2 Corinthians 5.11, Paul says this, he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Likewise, in Acts 18, Luke says that while Paul was in Corinth, he was reasoning from the scriptures in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks that Jesus was the Christ. So what's Paul saying that he avoided here? Well, he's saying that he avoids the common type of persuasion that was highly valued in his day. It was persuasion that was manipulative, and it was focused more on the speaker's flashy performance than on the actual content that he was saying. So some people will go up and say a lot of nice words and, and have a whole lot to say, and it sounds really good, but in the end, when you try to figure out exactly what they said, there's really not much content to it at all. That's the type of persuasion that Paul's saying that he avoided. He wasn't in the business of trying to win people through his own personality and his own eloquence. He didn't want to manipulate people into believing something just because it sounded good to their ears. He knew that it was the simple truth of the gospel that needed to do the work to change people's lives, not the glitz and the glamour of a person's speaking ability or even the emotional power of their stories. That's why he says that his message and his preaching were in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So though Paul was unimpressive and inadequate on his own, and though he denied the use of manipulative tactics to win the applause of his audience, guess what? The gospel still had an impact on his hearers. Why? Well, because God chose to use weak and unimpressive people in the world's eyes, to preach a powerful message. And this served as proof of the powerful nature of the Holy Spirit who worked through the message preached to change the hearts and lives of the Corinthians themselves. So Paul knew that it wasn't about him and it wasn't up to him to save the Corinthians. He had no power to do that. So from start to finish, he was dependent on the Holy Spirit. He knew that the Holy Spirit was the one that would enable him to preach the gospel clearly. And it was the Holy Spirit that had the power to actually save the people through the message preached. So though the, both the message and the man were unimpressive by the world's standards, they were still powerful. Why? 
because the Holy Spirit uses such means to save people throughout the world. So what does that mean for us? Well, again, this is vital for us to understand because you guys should be going out into your schools, into your workplaces, into whatever realm that God has put you in right now, and you should be preaching the gospel to people. But often, if we're honest with ourselves, the reason that we get so nervous, the reason that we get so scared, the reason we're so intimidated to preach the, gospels to, the gospel to others is because ultimately we're just reliant on our own abilities to do the work that only God has the ability to do. So who of you guys would say that you depend on when you preach the, gospels to, the gospel to your friend at school or to people that you work with or to your family members? Would you say that it all depends on you, or are you a person that depends on the Holy Spirit to help you to be faithful when the time to preach the gospel comes? So the hope in bringing you guys to this passage this morning is that I hope that it takes some of the pressure off of you as you look to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ to your friends and family members. The fact of the matter is, we are all insufficient for the task. We are all weak and simple people. And this should actually be freeing to us. All we have to do is be faithful. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit to help us to faithfully proclaim the gospel message and then depend on Him to do the work necessary to bring people to saving faith. So you don't have to sound super smart when you teach people the gospel. You don't have to be the coolest kid in school in order to preach the gospel to people. Guess what? Your only job is to be faithful. You're insufficient for the task. We get it. You might be intimidated to present the gospel, but just remember that the Holy Spirit uses weak and insufficient people to do great work in this world. So what is the purpose behind Paul using such a simple message and preaching such a simple message to these people. That's what he gets to in verse 5. So faithful gospel proclamation is not only marked by an unashamed dedication to a simple message and a humble reliance upon a powerful source, but faithful gospel proclamation is also marked by a selfless aim toward a glorifying outcome. A selfless aim toward a glorifying outcome. That's what Paul says in verse 5. He says that his message and his, his preaching weren't in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So Paul's ultimate aim was not to bring applause to himself or to any other human being for that matter. His aim was that the people's faith would rest or be in the power of God not the wisdom of men. So he desired uh, faith to be placed in the only one worthy of our wholehearted trust, and that is God himself. And this is where I think we really need to battle our own sin in this. We need to battle our own selfishness. We need to battle our own desire for self-glory as we look to evangelize other people. We have to decide in our evangelism if it's more about God's glory or about our own glory. Now, the temptation that we all have is to evangelize people so that I think deep down we think like it's putting another notch in our belt. Like I know this is an exaggeration, but sometimes we might think things or at least 
little things like this in our heart, we could think to ourselves if we have a, a friend that's saved through our evangelism. You know, he comes to church and you're like, you see that guy over there? Yeah, he's here because of me. He's one of my converts. Have you met him yet? Yeah, he'll probably tell you how persuasive I was when I preached the gospel to him. You know, I kind of have this saying, you know, if I just get a little bit of time to bend somebody's ear, they're sure to bend the knee to Christ. So just give me 20 minutes with somebody, and I'm so charismatic, I'm so persuasive that they're certain to repent and believe in the gospel. Now, I get it. That's an exaggeration, but sadly, I think that there are fragments of that that reside in our own hearts, and we have to battle against that. So what what do we want to do? We want to look impressive to people. We want those people to think highly of us. We want to somehow share in God's glory when someone's saved through our evangelism. And that's just flat out not right. So we have to kill this desire for glory inside of our own hearts because we need to know that there is only one worthy of glory as the gospel has an impact on our hearers, and that is God himself. This is why Paul made it his purpose to preach such a simple message to the Corinthians. While he could have dazzled them with this phenomenal oratorical performance, instead he recognized his own weakness and his own insufficiency, and he kept things simple. And he did that deliberately. He did it with a purpose. And it was so that the Corinthians' faith would not be in anyone or anything but God alone. Because of Paul's own weakness and insufficiencies, the work of the gospel in the people's hearts could only be attributed to the work of God. Paul simply functioned as a mouthpiece. He functioned as a, as a faithful evangelist who loved people enough to share the simple gospel message with them. And it was God who did all the work necessary to enable him to do that and to bring people to saving faith through the message preached. So when you guys think about presenting the gospel to others, what is your focus? What's your goal? Do you guys want some type of glory for yourself? Do you guys want to look cool? Do you want to look smart? Do you not want to look foolish in the eyes of others? So Paul's method demonstrates that these things cannot be our ultimate goal. They can't be our aim. We have to stick to God's word, no matter how simple it might be, and no matter how dumb people think, might think we are because we stick to God's word. Our aim is that God would be glorified, right? And God brings glory to himself by using a simple message, by using simple people, by using unimpressive people to bring people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. So again, I, I really hope that this text is freeing for you guys. So as somebody who honestly has struggled to have confidence evangelizing my own friends, my own family members who haven't come to know Christ yet, I agree with you guys that it's a little bit intimidating, it's a little bit scary, it's a little bit nerve-wracking. But Paul's method demonstrates that we do not need to impress people in order for the gospel to be heard by them. In fact, though we need to work hard at presenting the gospel with clarity, we need to do that. We need to remember that the results are not dependent upon us at all from start to finish. Paul made sure to do God's business God's way. 
He didn't care about worldly esteem. He didn't want to manipulate anyone through exhibitions of his own personality or his own intellect. His aim was simply to be faithful in lovingly presenting the gospel message in all its simplicity to unsaved people throughout the world. And he left the results up to God. So the, the question for all of us that I have uh, for us today is, will we do the same thing? Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for the, the freedom that it provides to us. I'm grateful for uh, the way that it instructs us on how we're to go about doing your business and your way in this world. I do pray that you would make the gospel effective in the lives of the people that do hear us throughout the week, that all the people here this morning would uh, have confidence in your gospel, that they would know that uh, even through such a simple message that the world might think of as foolishness, that you powerfully work through that message. So we're grateful for your love for us. We do ask that you would save more and more people throughout this world and save our friends and loved ones that we have an opportunity to share the gospel with. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys.